Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge. Io. Visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Warning. You're about to enter the arena and join the battle to save America with your host, John Parnell. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Battleground Live. It's, I think, what is it? What's today's? It's it's a Tuesday. Gosh, we were talking in the live chat prior to uh, the show that the day went really fast and oh my gosh, it did go fast. It sort of blurred by and there was so much going on today. It's like, I don't even know where to begin when I was doing show prep. I mean, there was just so many stories all coming at me from different ways. It's hard. And when that happens, it's hard to sort of find a, uh, a flow for the actual show. But nevertheless, here we are Tuesday in the trenches in the fight to save this country and, and, it's an honor to see we had almost 100 people in the chat leading up to the show. I always say join the platoon, get in the fight. But the reality is the platoon has an infantry platoon anyway, has like 40 people in it. <laughs> so we're almost getting close to a company, a full company size element. And after that, it's going to be a battalion. And after that, it's going to be a brigade and then division because this movement is growing like gangbusters every day. And we are lucky to have you a part of it. Um before we get into some of the top news stories of the day, I want to thank Deepwell. Uh, they're our founding partner uh, of this show. Uh, I talked to the CEO of that company, I would say probably December of last year, maybe January. He believed in the idea and the concept, and he volunteered. Just I didn't even ask him, just volunteered to be a sponsor. And we're so grateful, so, so grateful for the trust and faith that he's placed in me and placed in in our team. Uh, and I also want to thank, you know, Wendy Bell and Brock for having faith in me as well. And for all of you listening on the Wendy Bell radio app, we are lucky, very, very lucky to have you here. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for being in the platoon with us. And thank you to Wendy and Brock for actually having faith in me, even though Brock's send off message to me prior to every show is don't suck. I know that's just a term of endearment to Brock. I know that he really likes me. And I think he thinks the show's getting better every day. So that's, I'm very, very happy uh, to have him with us and to have the support of both Wendy Bell and Brock. They're just both amazing patriots. And really, 
They gave me the opportunity to host radio for the first time. They told me that I could do it. I didn't think that I could, but they were right. And so here we are, five days a week, Battleground Live. If you're watching this show right now, please take just a second of your day and make sure that you like this video. Rumble tracks the likes. The more likes we get, the more Rumble notices, the more Rumble notices, the more advertisers we get, the more advertisers we get. I could build a studio and get away from the cat's litter box. And that is the dream, folks. A very, very simple man. Very simple dreams. And a studio away from the cat litter box is one of them. So thank you all for joining us. Uh, Breaking news right here at the top of the hour. The Biden family dog uh, commander has bitten a Secret Service agent. And this is the, the, folks, listen to this. This is the 11th biting incident with the Biden family dog. I mean, how unhappy must that dog be <laughs> to be around the Bidens 24 hours a day, seven days a week? That thing probably hates this life. If I had to spend that much time around the Biden family crime syndicate, I'd be biting people too. <laughs> I mean, but seriously, 11, I, that's crazy to me. You know, I, I personally, this is I'm a big dog lover. And of course, you all know that we've got Pups McGee. In fact, look, I'm wearing my Pups, Pups McGee shirt. See, Pops McGee right there on the, this is from the Battleground Apparel Company, our apparel company, says politics is hell right on it, says Republican. Point being, I love dogs. Dogs are great. Um, But man, I just think dogs can read people sometimes better than actual people. And again, how, how much, how unhappy does that dog have to be to be biting 11 people? And what does it say about the Bidens who have really done nothing about it? And that dog remains in the White House, even though it's a danger to both the, you know, Joe Biden, who is a geriatric, his wife and everybody else that's around that dog. It just seems kind of crazy, right? The 11th biting incident, just kind of nuts. So I wanted to make sure you knew about that. <laughs> that news just broke. Um, I talked a little bit about yesterday about the importance of fighting on the political battlefield with the rules that we have. And as I was prepping for the show, I thought of the first time that I learned this lesson. And like most life lessons that I learned, learned many of these things on the battlefield, life lessons learned surrounded by death every day. Um, I remember we were tasked with doing a, a movement. We were doing some training with the Afghan National Army, and we were doing a joint combat patrol with him. It was supposed to be nothing. Uh, Doing an observation post, I remember driving around uh, what was this big, huge hill called Hilltop 2474, which is right on the Pakistan border. Uh, So we're driving around this hill, and keep in mind, I want to give you a sense of the visualization. So we're driving in Afghanistan. You want to go back to a time when Jesus Christ walked the earth, you know, add the AK-47 and the pickup truck, and it's Afghanistan. In fact, you know, the Roman Empire was more advanced than the Afghans are today. So there's no economy. There's no running water. There's no electricity. There's there's absolutely nothing there. So there's no paved roads. And you're operating on mountainous terrain. The a- Afghan National Army had about five Toyota Hilux pickup trucks in front of us with a bunch of Afghan National Army troops in the back. And I had four or five up-armored gun trucks with five American soldiers per truck, one American in the turret right? Manning a machine gun or a Mark 19 grenade launcher, whatever. Just doing a combat patrol, go around this hill. We drive down into what looks like a gravy boat, right? Like down into the bottom of this gravy boat, sit there at the bottom. You have to drive right up. So it's absolutely terrible terrain uh, 
from a tactical standpoint, you definitely don't want to get attacked when you're sitting in the bottom of a gravy boat with a massive mountain on your left-hand side. Out the right-hand side of my window and the right-hand side of the convoy, uh, you look right out your window and you open your door and it was a steep drop-off about 10 to 15 feet down, flattened out at the bottom and then shot up about 1,000 feet to a ridgeline directly east of us, directly to our right. So also, like, what do you do in that scenario? Uh, You can't open your truck and even get out of the truck without falling down this cliff. And as we were climbing up the the opposite end of this gravy boat, pulling outside of this this really depression that we were in, I remember trying to call our base uh, with our radio. Your communications in combat are it's your lifeline, right? If you can't get in contact with your base, your your base can't send air support, your base can't send artillery, your base can't send reinforcements. You're you're totally screwed on the battlefield if you're not communicating. Well, the terrain was so bad down in the low ground, huge cliff. Most of our communications were what you call line of sight. So you're talking on essentially a radio that sends uh, that transmits a signal to another radio on our base. If something gets in the way of that, you can't really communicate. And so we're driving, couldn't communicate with our base. And all of a sudden I start getting nervous because, as I mentioned, we're not in ideal tactical circumstances. And as we're driving up this hill, we got ambushed. And this is, by the way, the first time I'd ever been shot at. <laughs> and I was I was I was you know, half elated and half scared out of my mind. And what was crazy from each side of our convoy, we had three, you know, we had this cliff directly to our left, this steep drop off and another cliff to our right, um, to our left and to our right were three machine gun nests just pelting us in the low ground. It was, it was crazy, but they didn't initiate with the machine guns, they've what they call volley fired rocket propel grenades at each one of our trucks hit the Afghan National Army trucks. It was like walking up to a hornet's nest and hitting it with a baseball bat. The Afghan National Army troops spilled out of the trucks and ran 100 different directions. All their trucks stopped right in front of us, which effectively caused a massive roadblock for our convoy. So all these rocket propel grenades hit our armored vehicles, which the armor was strong enough to stop the rocket propel grenades. But I watched a truck uh, right in front of me uh, with Phil Baldwin in it and uh, several other of my soldiers. McLeod gets hit with his rocket propel grenade and just engulfs the truck in in flames and smoke. And I thought in that moment, like, really, by the way, I hadn't really absorbed what was going on, because when you're in combat like that and you're getting shot at, especially for the first time. The moment almost kaleidoscopes around you. You ever look into a kaleidoscope and you turn it and you watch all the shapes move? That's sort of what combat feels like. It's just absolute chaos. Lots of things happening around you. It's almost too much for the senses to even take in. I just remember seeing the first image of my lead truck get destroyed and thinking, well, my God, everybody in that truck is dead. And there we were. You know, there's a phrase in the military. There we were. No the earmuffs if you're if you've got kids around but uh there we were no shit stuck in combat that's just a veteran phrase but yeah there we were stuck in the low ground in one of the worst places on the face of the planet especially from a tactical standpoint totally surrounded by the enemy five afghan national army trucks parked right in front of us no ability when when no ability to drive forward out of what's called the kill zone. The kill zone is the is the spot that the enemy picks to ambush you, attack you, and kill you. We were stuck. 
it was impossible for us to back out of the kill zone because we had turned around this massive mountain that was to our left at the, effectively a right angle. It would be impossible to back up a an armored convoy around that 90 degree turn while we're getting pelted with RPGs and machine guns. Everything from our field manual, what they call our FM7-8 field manual, everything, all the training that we received supposed to have taught you how to react to what you call near and far ambushes. This was kind of a mix between a near and far ambush. We had crew serve machine guns hitting us from the hilltops. Basically, that what they call the tactic, technique, and procedure was to assault through the ambush. Like never if you're find yourself trapped in a kill zone, it's a really damn terrible place to be. Uh, they don't call it, you know, kill zone because it's sunshines and rainbows. Typically, if you're getting ambushed, you're getting killed. Um, but the, the procedure, the tactical response, the appropriate tactical response was to assault through the ambush, but just having the knowledge that you do about the terrain that we, that we were on, we couldn't assault through on our left because there was a, a sheer clip that shot straight up 2,474 feet. We couldn't assault to our right because we'd effectively fall 15 feet and never make it up the hill to the machine guns that were pelting us. Couldn't drive through the ambush because of the roadblock. Couldn't back up because it was a 90-degree turn. Couldn't get in contact with our base because our comms were completely uh, cut off. Couldn't rally the ANA because I don't speak Waziri, so there was a language barrier. And so in that moment, when I was convinced that we were going, this again, keep in mind, I was 22 years old. I was 22 years old, maybe 23, leading 40 infantry troops for the first time in combat. Never done anything like this before in my life. And this is the very first time we had been shot at. And so I had absolutely no idea what to do. In fact, my driver looks at me and said, sir, what are we doing? What do we do, sir? Make a decision on the radio. They're lighting up with my squad leader, sir, you know, you know. Blackhawk 3-6, that was my call sign. Blackhawk 3-6, make a decision, make a decision, make a decision. I mean, really, all, all of 10 seconds had gone by, but it had felt like a lifetime. It was it was crazy. And in that moment, in, in the passenger seat of my truck, I remember I remembered something as clear as day. I saw as clear as day in my mind's eye of you know, the the army soldiers are an officer and a chaplain in their green uniform knocking on my parents' door, telling them that I had been killed in combat. And then I just got the craziest idea, and that was just to get out of the truck. Now, there is nothing in our training manual that says to do that, but something in my mind, in my heart, in my soul, I don't know what you want to call it just compelled me to get out. Now I look, I, I got out of the truck and my very first thought, <laughs> I don't really talk about, I've never really talked about this story. So if you're watching or listening to this show, it's really, I mean, I, you, you could read about it and not love a tune, but I, I hardly ever tell this particular story. But my very first thought when I got out of the vehicle was I immediately regret this decision. So I didn't get out of the truck thinking I was going to be some great hero or anything like that. I actually had no idea what to do, but there was, there was nothing else to do. Um, so I get out of the truck. I immediately know that I'm being shot at by a sniper rifle. I can hear the dragon off sniper rifle targeting me. Clearly they knew that I was in the officer officers typically ride in the second truck in, in, in an American convoy. And I felt 
the pull of uh, like something pull my pants like uh, my, around my calf and I looked down and a bullet had pierced my pant leg that's how close the rounds were and the bullets were landing all around me and I'm thinking oh my god what the hell did I do and in my mind I just just told myself just run just run take action do something and so I just started sprinting up the hill as fast as I could and I remember running by the truck that was a smoldering wreck covered in flames and I look inside and miraculously Everybody inside the truck was still alive. The armored compartment had kept them all alive. I couldn't believe it. It was like a miracle. And I remember looking in there and Sergeant Baldwin looked at me. He was like, holy shit, this guy's out of his mind. <laughs> like, what the hell is he doing? Get back in the truck. And I just remembered I hit my hand on the glass, which is, of course, up armored glass. And I was like, oh, my God, that hurt. And I just said, come on, come on. We got to run to the top of the hill. And he just looked at me like I was totally crazy. But I just kept running. Um, and halfway up the hill, the rate of fire from the enemy got so great that I didn't think I was going to go on. And I was reminded very quickly that fighting in Afghanistan happens, you know, in the valley, you're at 14,000 feet. Now, that's like playing a football game at Mile High Stadium in, in Denver, Colorado times three. I'm wearing 90 pounds of gear. My muscles felt like lead. My lungs were on absolute fire. I'm thinking, oh, my God, I, I'm going to die. And I failed my platoon on the very first engagement that we were in. And about halfway up the hill, just before I was about to fall out and get shot or probably get sniped by the sniper or get hit with a rocket propelled grenade, I look behind me and my entire platoon was falling from Sergeant Baldwin to our mortarman Garrett to Alexander Nosov to uh, people that were in that trucks. They were out running. It was the only thing we could do. And again, I didn't act in that moment because I knew I, I didn't act in that moment because. I thought it would work. In fact, I thought I didn't think it would work, but there was literally nothing else to do. So long story short, we get to the top of the hill. Somehow we make it to the top of the hill and we consolidate, we reorganize, we start shooting back at the enemy. We And then we went on the attack um, because that was always my position as a platoon leader. My, my philosophy was just be default aggressive. Doesn't matter what it is, default aggressive. Always be moving the ball down the field. Always be attacking. Never cede the battlefield to the enemy. Give them no quarter whatsoever. So we went on the attack, and we ended up winning the day. But in the moment, um, I didn't think my – I wasn't sure how my soldiers would react. And by the way, when, you, when you're first tested in combat, you get one or two seconds to make a good impression on your soldiers or not. If it's the latter, if if you don't, they write you off forever and you become one of those officers that's a danger to the lives of all your troops in your unit. And so I get back to the base. I'm scared out of my minds because even though we survived, I just did something absolutely crazy that's not anywhere in our field manuals at all. And we get back to the base and we're in the defect and all my soldiers are in there. And, and by the way, there is a feeling of general elation in the unit after we, we survived our first firefight, our first ambush. Not only that, we won the day somehow. I mean, honestly, I, somehow. And, and I, I've told you before that I wear this St. Christopher medal that was given to me by my grandfather. He died before I went to Afghanistan. And I, I've told you also before that I believe that this St. Christopher medal, my grandfather was my guardian angel when I was there. Because when I came back from that firefight, I probably had at least 10 bullet holes in my uniform. <laughs> I mean, it was absolutely, that's how close 
I was to getting shot. And by the way, it wasn't just me. I had soldiers in my platoon that were carrying mortars, like these big mortar rounds in their assault packs. They were getting shot up. Like somehow bullets had hit those assault packs, not blown them, not blown up those explosive rounds. Absolute miracle how we made it through. But my non-commissioned officers surrounded me in the DFAC and they just looked at me and they said, great job, sir. And Phil Baldwin later talked to me about, you know, because you we do Phil Baldwin was always my go-to guy. I've told you about Phil before. He's just like one of my closest friends and confidants. He was one of my squad leaders. He was he was actually a, a blue collar union democrat. And we had great political debates when we when we weren't getting shot at by the enemy. We always respected each other, but we had great political debates. But I he was also just he was older, he was more mature. He he knew his stuff from a tactical standpoint, and I relied on him a lot. And I remember him telling me. You know, I was still drenched in sweat from the engagement that day. But I remember him telling me that, you know, you fight on the battlefield that you're given. And he said, had had you not just done something, just made a decision, just been decisive in some way, somehow, we would have likely died along with the Afghan national. I mean, I by the way, I, I again, I I want to. I want to impress upon you all. I am not some tactical genius. Some I'm not making myself out to be, you know, anything more than I am. I'm a city kid from Western Pennsylvania that did not come from a long line of military generals. I made it out of Afghanistan for one reason and one reason only. And that's because my soldiers were the best people on the face of the planet who took me under their wing and taught, coached and mentored me every step of the way. Without them, I am nothing. I, I am absolutely nothing. But what I learned from Phil Baldwin and when life and death was on the line is that make a decision, fight in the conditions that you're in. Don't delay, don't flinch, don't hesitate, because on the battlefield, that could mean death. But what I always say back here at home, because I've been wired into politics for quite some time now, but politics is war just without the bullets. And I can't tell you how many emails I get, how many text messages I get about you know, the election law and how Democrats are going to cheat and how there's nothing that we can do about it. Folks, I am here to tell you that if you are thinking that, please, I am begging you, put that out of your mind because that is a surefire way to lose. We have the battlefield that, that we have. The cards, the hand that we have has already been dealt. Now it's our job to assess the situation and make the best of it, move out, draw fire and win. And I'm telling you, based on the polling that I gave you just yesterday, has Trump up 10 in ABC, Washington Post, hardcore liberal poll. Okay, never has Trump had this great of a margin in any of the polls that he's ever done. And another poll that came out just today can't remember who the hell did it, but it's another some liberal poll that had, you know, tr- Biden beating Trump by 14 points. This has Trump up one. So this has never happened. So my point is Donald Trump at this moment in time, not only is he more popular than he was in 2016, he's more popular than he was in 2020. And he is effectively polling above the margin of fraud. So do the Democrats cheat? I told you yesterday, yes, they've been doing it. Since Nixon, JFK in the 1960s, and they've been saying it out loud ever since. Yes, they do. But there is a way in which that we can win this damn thing if we stay focused on the task at hand, stay focused on the mission, and Donald Trump just keeps doing what he's doing.
and uniting this country behind it. People are concerned like they've never been concerned before. The title of this episode is All the Democrats Do is Lie. And it is the truest thing in the world. Because the Democrats seemingly every day, the economy's great. Well, the American people aren't feeling that. In fact, the American people are suffering. The American people are living paycheck to paycheck, can barely afford to put food on the table for their families. There's no disputing that. And no amount of gaslighting from Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or mouth-breathing KJP at the, at, in the White House press room, no amount of gaslighting is going to change that. The Democrats have told you that the border is secure. It's not open. It's secure. Well, the American people see one video after the next of people streaming across the border, wading through the Rio Grande, riding on trains by the thousands. They've seen the videos at Eagle Pass where just yesterday, 11,000 plus immigrants stormed Eagle Pass in Texas more in a one day flow greater than at any other time in our history. People see this, folks, this is an invasion. The the American people know that electric vehicles are a complete disaster. The American people know that the vast majority of union workers that are suffering, as auto workers specifically, they're suffering because Joe Biden and, and the green agenda has decimated their industry and their jobs with unbelievably unreliable green energy and electric vehicles that, by the way, require subsidies even to make a profit. And no, oh, by the way, that, you know, Ford, GM, Chrysler, uh, these American car companies will lose billions on electric vehicles. Just a fact. All the while, American workers are losing their jobs. I mean, see what I'm saying? Like, there's, there's the Democrats just lie about everything. And it's not about things that are just happening today. Do you remember Barack Obama and Obamacare? If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. That was a lie. Do you remember about Benghazi? I mean, think, just really think about some of these. And these lies aren't little lies. These are brazen, just things that don't even make sense. Benghazi was all about the video. Some guy made an anti-Muslim video and, oh my gosh, it it created this uprising and around Benghazi. And that's ultimately how Ambassador Chris Stevens was killed. And the reality was it had nothing to do with that video. But the Democrats in power made damn well sure to arrest a video maker. How about Afghanistan? Oh, Afghanistan's great. Afghanistan's great. Every year, one year after the next for 20 years. Afghanistan's great. We're on track. Afghanistan's great. We're on track. I mean, these people brazenly lie to you about every, like anything and everything. And so you look at what's happening today. And you and all the things that the Democrats are lying about, and you look at the poll numbers, and you see Trump pulling ahead, and you see the Dems trying to indict him and throw him in jail and remove him from the ballot in swing states, it it makes one wonder what they have left. I mean, this is this is why guys like Tucker Carlson and Dan Bongino say almost every show uh, that Donald Trump's in danger. Because this thing is escalating. Look, nothing is stopping this guy. 
He just keeps getting more and more popular. We tried to indict him. He just got more popular. We're trying to remove him from the ballot. He just gets more popular. So what's like follow that to its natural conclusion. We live at very, very dangerous times. And, you know, the Democrats, they, they rarely actually have arguments, like coherent, logical arguments based on policy. They just scream racism or dictator or authoritarian. And I, I turned to Commander Melanie today. And as I was prepping for the show, I said to her, like, I saw a bunch of people on Twitter who are back out there again saying, if, if Donald Trump, oh, he could win again. Oh, he could win. And if, and if he does, it will be the end of democracy as we know it. And I turned to Melanie. I said, really? Are, are, we, are we really, really doing this again? I mean, they tried to paint Donald Trump as some crazy authoritarian with his finger hovering over the nuclear button and, oh, he's going to be crazy to start World War III. Not only that, not only did he not do that, but he was the greatest peacetime president of my life. Yet here we are trotting the same bullshit out again. And not only that, anybody who's a Republican is a racist. The reason why they do this is because they have no coherent arguments. You got to look at this video from Steve Schmidt. Now, Steve Schmidt is the guy from the Lincoln Project, the the, the pedophile project. And I think I don't know that's I, I I don't know the ins and outs of all that, but they got implicated in some weird like like sex stuff. Uh, I'm not even really going to get into that. Um, but Steve Schmidt, uh, of again, of the Lincoln Project, went on MSNBC and was trotting out all these same tropes. Democracy is going to end. Uh, all Republicans are racists. Um, go ahead and, and let's uh, let's roll the first clip here, Brock. Would entail. What do you make of the fact that it does seem to me that the country and in many cases, the media seems numb to it? I think there's no question that the country and the media is numb to it. The threshold in this moment is very simple. Everything that Donald Trump says should be taken literally and seriously, what he did today was threaten the employees, the journalists at NBC News. What he said more broadly is he's going to shut down the free media in the United States. What he announced today as a candidate for president in 2023 is he's coming after the American media. He's coming after his political opponents. Why is he running for president? He's running for retribution. Retribution, according to Donald Trump, is a philosophy of avenging anybody who was against him. So we are on the edge of an abyss in this country. And it seems that there is a paralysis, a numbness, a total disregard for the clear and present threat. Uh, uh, don't tempt me with a good time, Steve Schmidt. You're damn right. Donald Trump is running on a platform of retribution. He, th think about it. Like the very people that lied to you about lockdowns or how about this? The media and the doctors and that, that in high level positions, not all the doctors, but many of the leaders at the CDC. Guys like Fauci, the National Institute of Health lied to you about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine how many people's lives could have been saved if these people in the media and these high level government officials 
didn't lie to the American people about that. They told you that ivermectin was horse paste and that hydroxychloroquine wouldn't work. Both of those things right now have been approved by the FDA for treating some people who ha- who suffer from COVID-19. So back then they lied. They lied to you. How many Americans died? Like how many? I mean, is anybody going to do an investigation into that? The media made that possible. Or how about General Milley? In, in the collapse of Afghanistan, or it will, and we'll talk more about General Milley in a second, but what these people are effectively arguing is that no one should ever be held accountable for these horrific crimes against humanity. I'm talking specifically about COVID, but what about the, the intelligence officials who signed that, you know, the, signed that piece of paper saying that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation, knowing that the Hunter Biden laptop was not Russian disinformation. You're damn right that Donald Trump is is running on cleaning house. Every institution in this country, once venerated institutions like the Department of Justice or the American military or, you know, the CIA, the the DNI, I mean, all these organizations that the American people once trusted have been corrupted by communist Democrats. Not everybody at those institutions is bad, but Democrats are experts at infiltrating these institutions and organizations and taking over key leadership spots and pushing agendas that are not consonant with why those organizations were founded in the first place. The CDC pushed lies, especially during COVID, Those lies hurt people. What Donald Trump is campaigning on now is holding those people accountable because they have to be held accountable in any sane or just world. Of course they would. If you or or I or any normal American does something wrong or lies at work, and those lies end up getting someone hurt, you go, you, you get fired at a minimum. You might even get sued. You might even go to jail. The, these people, these bureaucrats, the deep state, the people that are supposed to be serving the interests of the United States of America selflessly, they should at a minimum be held to the same standard as regular Americans, but they're not. In fact, I would argue that they should be held to a higher standard. But Steve Schmidt goes on, and as if you, as if what he said already wasn't absurd enough, listen to what this mouth breather has to say. And as I often say, try not to let it diminish your IQ that much. Go ahead and roll the tape. There is something extraordinary happening. The people who are trying to tear down democracy in the country keep telling the rest of the country, what it is they plan to do to such a degree that they have announced their plans six months into 2025 to have taken apart the whole of the federal government. Now, since FDR's time in office, the legislative metric in the United States has been 100 days, not six months. This is a racist code whistle to every white supremacist in the country because it's how long it took Adolf Hitler to take Weimar Germany to a complete and total dictatorship that included, by the way, 
the military swearing an oath of allegiance, not to the nation, but to the Fuhrer. And the military was the institution amongst many in Germany that were the last holdouts to this. But once he was in power, they were the first to submit. And what Donald Trump is signaling to the officer corps of the American military, you get in line behind me, the leader, not the idea, not the Constitution, or I'm coming for you, too. This is an epically dangerous moment. First of all, Donald Trump is the commander in chief. Officers of the United States military, you better be damn well sure you're standing behind the commander in chief. We elect American presidents to be the commander in chief, the commander of the United States military. He's a civilian for a reason, beholden to the people. So yeah, you it's it the, the American military officer corps, you bet you should be standing in line with President Trump or who will be President Trump. You took an oath to that office, took an oath to protect and defend the constitution. But now you see what Steve Schmidt is doing? He's not actually he's just making shit up at this point. Again, excuse my language, but these people are just gross, disgusting liars and they're apt, they, they they've got one mission and one mission only and that's to to transform this country, but ultimately destroy this country. So I have nothing but contempt for these liars. They actually make me sick to my stomach. But now now Donald Trump is is just no different than a Nazi. You see, if you're a conservative and you believe in the founding principles of this country, you love America, you believe in small government, you believe in low taxes, you, you, you believe that big business shouldn't collude with big government and big tech to force narratives on the American people. Like, you know, common sense things like the Bill of Rights and the First Amendment and the right to keep and bear arms. You're, you're called, like, as a matter of routine, a Nazi by the left. That's just what they do. If you found yourself in the public eye at all as a conservative, God forbid, you know, you run for office at the local, state or federal level. At some point, some whack job, mouth breathing liberal is going to call you a Nazi. They will call you a Nazi for absolutely nothing. The great irony is, is that these globalists and these liberals, they'll call you a Nazi, which, of course, you're clearly not. But they will actually invite Nazis on to like actual Nazis and give them standing ovations on, and, and this is in the case of the Canadian Parliament and Justin Trudeau's government up in Canada, they gave an actual Nazi a standing ovation, ovation during uh, Zelensky's speech to Canada. You see, Zelensky's on a world tour right now begging for money from Western nations, uh, and they gave this guy, this, this Nazi SS veteran, multiple standing ovations. So see, you're you know, you're a Nazi for believing in the constitution, but they but actual Nazis, they get standing ovations. Check this out. It's going to blow your mind. Roll the tape. We have here in the chamber today Ukrainian Canadians, Ukrainian Canadian world veteran from the Second World War who fought the Ukrainian independence against the Russians and continues to support the troops today even at his age of 98.
His name is Yaroslav Hunka. And uh, I was going to say he's in the gallery, but I think you beat me to that. <laughs> but I'm very proud to say that he is from North Bay and from my riding of Nipissing to Miskaming. He's a Ukrainian hero, a Canadian hero, and we thank him for all his service. Thank you. <laughs> so here's the kicker. Like, if you go back and watch that video, like, there's a moment where it seemed like the parliamentary speaker, his name is Anthony Rhoda. He actually just resigned today because of all this, because of this unbelievably embarrassing debacle. Um, but there was a moment where, where he pauses, where it's like he's reading his remarks and he's like thinking to himself, wait a second. He fought, he fought for Ukraine against the Russians in World War II, but then he just read it anyway. It's like almost like he put two and two together that the Russians were allied with Americans against the Nazis in World War II. So I it's and so Politico, once this came out, Politico put out this article. It said Nazi linked veteran, Nazi linked. Nazi-linked veteran received ovation during Zelensky's Canada Canada visit. Nazi-linked? Are you kidding me? That's like that's like saying that that um I, I don't know what the, who who who's the lead singer of John Lennon? It's like John Lennon is is just linked to the Beatles. I mean, that's the craziest thing in the world. Nazi-linked. So we have this image, uh, Politico, when they shared uh, this article. Um, do we have it? It's. It's an image of where well, there's Zelensky on the floor with Justin Trudeau, but it's a Politico community note where they put up like the, on X Twitter shared the article and um, or some or Politico shared the article and it got community noted on X with Twitter, which is now X. I don't know how I, it, I get confused about that stuff all the time, but it says that the guy was literally a member of the SS. A, a group that was largely responsible for rounding up Jews and exporting them off to concentration camps. This is the guy who these Canadian libs are giving a standing ovation to on the parliament on on the parliamentary floor, the House floor in Canada. So again, they'll call you a Nazi for just believing in the Constitution, but they'll give standing ovations to actual Nazis. You see how this stuff works? Oh, we got the image. Let's see, are we putting it up here now? Uh, we can't really see it. We'll find it for you. We'll see if we can share it. It's yeah, This is just the link to the article, but there's an actual image that I, I texted Brock, but it's okay. We'll just move right along. Um, Justin Trudeau, of course, came out. And I'm I'm going through this for a reason, but Justin Trudeau came out and and apologized uh, to this. And his apology did did he take accountability for it? Of, of course he didn't. Um, liberals never, and I mean never with a capital N, take accountability for anything, anything. They always deflect. They always blame. Never. Are they accountable? So check out this video of Justin Trudeau responding to giving a standing ovation to an actual SS member of the SS Nazis. Check check it out. Obviously, it's extremely upsetting that this happened. Uh, the speaker, speaker has uh, acknowledged his mistake uh, and has apologized. 
Uh, but this is something that is deeply embarrassing to the Parliament of Canada and by extension to all Canadians. Uh, I think particularly of Jewish MPs and all members of the Jewish community across the country who are uh, celebrating Yom, or commemorating Yom Kippur today. Uh, I think it's going to be really important that all of us push back against Russian propaganda, Russian disinformation, and continue our steadfast and unequivocal support for Ukraine uh, as uh, we did last week with announcing uh, further measures to stand with Ukraine in uh, Russia's illegal war against it. So <laughs> how does you and your parliament giving a Nazi a standing ovation have anything to do with Russian propaganda? If you see what's happening here yesterday, I, I showed you the video of Hillary Clinton and Jen Psaki talking about uh, Russia collusion hoax and how the Russians stole the election from her, how she should have won and how they're definitely going to interfere on, on elections in 2024, especially if Trump is the nominee. Here you have Justin Trudeau talking about them giving a standing ovation to a Nazi and how it's all Russia's fault. Do you see a pattern here? All of this is made possible because of a media that is wholly unwilling to challenge liberals on anything. And I notice I said that no, Justin Trudeau is not going to take accountability for anything. That yes, he's going to blame other people, in this case, the Russians. <laughs> for giving the standing ovation to a Nazi. But speaking of accountability, James Clapper, who again, the former head of the, the DNI, also one of uh, the intelligence officials, the 52 intelligence officials who signed the document saying that Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation, when of course, no, knowing that it was not, he was on TV the other day as well, talking to, I think somebody, some anchor on CNN, talking about the idea that Trump Winning could lead to people being held accountable, which is what the American people want, but not the actual people who committed crimes and lied to everybody. Watch this video. Check this out. In a recent profile, uh, General Milley raised the possibility that he thought if Trump was reelected, he would throw his opponents in jail. He said that he would be at the top of the list. Do you think that that's a real concern? And are you concerned that you could be on Trump's enemies list? Well, sure. Uh, I think there are probably uh, a lot of people uh, that are potentially uh, on such a list. Uh, and again, that's uh, that's reprehensible. Uh, I, I think General Milley's comment was he didn't think uh, President Trump would uh, be reelected. Well, I'm not so sure about that. So, yeah, that's a that's a real concern for uh, for many of us. You lied to the American people and those lies might have cost President Trump the election in 2020. And in doing so, we're involved in an election interference scheme that hasn't been seen in this country in a very, very, very long time. And what he's arguing on national media is that he should not be held accountable for those crimes. Why does James Clapper still have a security clearance? I, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable to me. And the idea that Milley should be held accountable, yes, he should. Somebody should be held, held accountable for the absolute failure and surrender in Afghanistan. And that person should probably be Milley. He was the one that was in charge of it. I mean, it's it's just 
it's almost unbelievable to me. And oh, by the way, oh, Millie, do you remember when he called China and said that, uh, hey, just so you're tracking, you know, Trump, you know, all this, all this talk about Trump attacking China. I just wanted to touch base with you, Chinese diplomat, and let you know uh, that Trump might attack China. Uh, well, is Trump actually going to attack China? No, no, but I just wanted to call you. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, to me, doing something like that without informing the commander in chief, uh, first of all, Trump was, of course, not going to attack China. It's just all completely made up. But doing something like that behind the back of the commander in chief, the person who's supposed to be in charge of the United States military, I mean, that, that to me is treason. Oh, well, no, there are other people on the phone. It wasn't just me. Oh, great, because that makes me feel a hell of a lot better. These people who work to undermine Trump at every turn, who are now going on CNN and MSNBC to attack Trump, who is the Republican front front runner for president, who's now beating Joe Biden by 10 points in the latest ABC Washington Post poll and, and, and is beating Biden in the real clear politics average across the board. He's advocating that these people be held accountable. You're damn right they should be held accountable. You or me would be held accountable for this stuff. Why shouldn't they? They're public servants. They took an oath to protect and defend the Constitution. And as part of that oath is to tell the truth to the American people. Like you work at the behest of the American people. Our tax dollars pay your salary. When you lie to the commander-in-chief, and you go on national media and lie and interfere in elections, yes, you should be held accountable for that. And yes, it's entirely appropriate for someone who is campaigning for president and as the Republican frontrunner say, yes, there will be accountability when I win in 2024. These aren't radical concepts. But these Democrats, the deep state, the mainstream media, like they will lie to you to accomplish their goals. They've done it for the last for as long as I can remember all my life. And so speaking of lies, Zelensky's been traveling the world begging for money, both from the United States. and He was up in Canada. We just showed a video of, of the Canadian parliament giving a standing ovation to a Ukrainian Nazi. Zelensky. Ukraine was basically the subject of a topic of conversation on 60 Minutes. It, I have to tell you, folks, it absolutely blew my mind for a lot of different reasons because the mainstream media, you know, at the height of the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, it always seemed like the mainstream media was, was anti-war. Or the funding that was appropriated to fight those wars. I'm just talking specifically about Iraq and Afghanistan. It was always the subject of rigorous scrutiny from the mainstream media, implying that if a, when a Republican is president, that those dollars are somehow being spent incorrectly. And they might have had a point. But you look now at how the mainstream media is treating Ukraine, and you have to ask yourself what the hell is going on. Because now all of a sudden, 60 Minutes is 100% pro-war. 100% for escalating a war in Ukraine that could put us on the path to fighting World War III with a nuclear power, a threat that our military is not sufficiently evolved enough to meet. I mean, check out this video. Uh, it's essentially, I look at this, folks, I, I see this as, as propaganda, plain and simple. Uh, check out this video uh, of a Ukrainian lieutenant uh, giving a call to action to the American taxpayer. Check this out. 
Ukraine is losing U.S. weapons on the battlefield. But Lieutenant Shershin told us that's the only way they're losing them. Has anything gone missing? In my situation, in my company, in our battalion, I don't know the case like this. As the war grinds towards its third year, Ukrainians are dying in trenches, in the streets of their cities, and in their own homes. The country's fighting for its survival, bankrolled in large part by US taxpayers. The outcome may be decided by America's willingness to keep paying. Some Americans say we're very sympathetic to you Ukrainians, but we're going through tough times at home and we just can't afford to keep on supporting you. Ukrainians pay their lives. And uh, I believe and I hope that their lives cost much more than money, much more than uh, taxpayers' money. Listen, war is hell. I've been there. I've seen it firsthand. But this guilt trip that you're getting from 60 Minutes saying that our lives are worth more than your tax dollars. Damn it, that makes me so mad because it's manipulative. It's sickening. If you think, Do you think that Ukraine would lift a finger to help America if we were attacked? You think Ukraine would give us billions of dollars of their own money to help us in the event of a natural disaster? No, they would not. Ukraine is technically not even a, a member of, of NATO. They're not even an ally. And so this 60 minute segment went on and, and this about blew my mind because I'm always talking to you about, you know, the frivolous spending in Ukraine and the escalatory policies of both Republicans and Democrats in Washington funding this war until no end. We've already spent a, a well over $100 billion of American taxpayer money. Biden pledged when Zelensky was here another $25 billion, and maybe by the end of the year, it'll probably be $250 billion. That's not even an exaggeration. They just sent M1 Abrams tanks there. Uh it's like there's no end in sight to this thing. And the Ukrainians, the Ukrainians are getting destroyed on the battlefield. They're, they're, they're getting annihilated. No end in sight. No discussion of diplomacy. But look at how deep the rabbit hole goes with regards to our funding in Ukraine. We're not just giving military aid. Roll the tape and check this out. American taxpayers are financing more than just weapons. We discovered the U.S. government's buying seeds and fertilizer for Ukrainian farmers and covering the salaries of Ukraine's first responders, all 57,000 of them. That includes the team that trains this rescue dog named Joy to comb through the wreckage of Russian strikes looking for survivors. And the U.S. also funds the divers, who we saw clearing unexploded ammunition from the country's rivers to make them safe again for swimming and fishing. Russia's invasion shrank Ukraine's economy by about a third. We were surprised to find that to keep it afloat, the US government is subsidizing small businesses. Uh, we're subsidizing 57,000 first 57,000 
first responders in Ukraine. We're subsidizing Ukrainian small businesses. But the people in Maui, one-time payment is 700 bucks. The American people who have record credit card debt, who are defaulting on credit card debt and car loans and mortgages at a level not seen since the financial crisis of 2008, you're all screwed. The auto workers in, 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 in Michigan who are losing their jobs because of all this crap, you're all screwed. But Ukraine, hey, yeah, we'll subsidize you. Southern border that's completely overrun. Tidal wave of human suffering on the southern border. I mean, it, it, even even the AP and all these fake news outlets are are you know pushing this these these pictures from our southern border of children crawling through concertina wire. These pictures are clearly staged, intended to evoke an emotional response from you, the American people. These are manipulative propaganda tactics. <laughs> I, I just. There's a, a level of suffering in this country and hardship in this country, specifically among the lower and America lower class and American middle class that I've not seen in a probably in all my life. And I think it is just a travesty that we choose to secure another country's border and not our own, that we're choosing to subsidize Ukrainian bureaucrat salaries and 57,000 first responders while Americans can barely pay their bills living paycheck to paycheck. It's it's horrible. And never mind the accounting errors. I think we sent, the, 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 last I checked, over $6 billion in funding incorrectly to Ukraine. Check out uh, this video of, of Dick Blumenthal as, as he brazenly lies to the American people. Go ahead and roll this tape. While in Kyiv, we learned that three of McCain's former colleagues were also in town. Democratic Senators Elizabeth Warren and Richard Blumenthal and Republican Senator Lindsey Graham. They don't normally agree on much. Together, though, they're some of the staunchest supporters of US funding for Ukraine's resistance. They're on track to break the Russian army. And the only way they could possibly lose is if we pull the plug on them. The wreckage of Russia's war machine was on display for Ukraine's Independence Day celebrations, even as almost a fifth of the country remains under occupation. People ask me, is it worth it? Here's what we've gotten for our investment. We haven't lost one soldier. We've reduced the combat power of the Russian army by 50 percent. Not one of us has died in that endeavor. This is a great deal for America. You've previously said that it's the best money we've ever spent. That's still true? Since we helped Churchill stand up to the Nazis. We have to have confidence that the dollars we're spending are actually being spent in defense of the nation. All of that is important. But that's why we're here. The senators and other U.S. officials told us there have been no substantiated cases of American weapons being diverted. The United States Department of Defense ought to be telling the story about oversight. We're monitoring, we're following every piece of equipment. There has been no diversion, no evidence of misappropriation. This is an American success story on aiding a partner fighting for freedom. Folks, I'm telling you, that's Senator Dick Blumenthal. The man lied about his Vietnam combat record. Why the hell would we trust him? about how our weapons are being distributed in Ukraine. 
He has shown an unbelievable willingness to lie in the past. Why should we trust him now? Especially Lindsey Graham, Elizabeth Warren, Dick Blumenthal, after on the heels of 20 years of failure and not because of the American military. We won every fight on the battlefield there. It was because of morons and mouth breathers like you who lied to the American people as a matter of routine and to Lindsey Graham. Look, he's a nice guy. I've met him. I've talked to him. He's a nice guy. He is dead wrong on this. The Ukrainians, hear me out. Hear me, okay? They are not winning. They will never win this war. They won't. They won't. The the, the summer offensive ended in disaster for Ukraine. They barely penetrated the first Russian line. There are three heavily militarized Russian lines. Ukraine didn't even penetrate the first one and took an unbelievable casualty rate while they did it. So I'm telling you, I know for a fact these people are lying to you. You talk about a good investment. You know, tens of thousands of people are dying. I've seen war, it's hell. I've seen the people that are trapped in the middle. It's especially bad for the kids. I get all of that stuff. But I am imploring the leaders on each side of this aisle to put diplomacy first. Try to bring an end to this fight. And news that just broke prior to this program, prior to going live, is that Zelensky committed a war crime against Poland. They they fired a missile that killed two Polish farmers. Missile landed in Poland, killed two Polish farmers. And Zelensky immediately blamed Russia for that attack and tried to invoke Article 5 of NATO to drag America into a larger fight with Russia, essentially into World War III. News broke today, and it was reported by Reuters, okay, again, not exactly a conservative bastion, but but that the missile that was that was actually fired, Polish experts, and I'm reading to you directly from the article, Polish experts have confirmed that the missile that killed two people at a grain facility in southern Poland in November was fired by Ukraine. Zelensky brazenly lied to the world, tried to invoke Article 5 of NATO to drag us into war with essentially a false flag to escalate the fight against Russia. If he was successful in that, Americans would have ended up on the battlefield. It could have been your son or your daughter fighting a war based on a lie and come hell or high water. We cannot allow that to happen. Have we learned nothing in the wake of Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan? We've, we've, We've learned nothing. And as far as what your tax dollars are funding in Ukraine, I'm telling you, it's not pretty. I saw a video of what is undoubtedly uh, Ukraine committing war crimes against. And look, terrible things happen on the battlefield. They do. War sucks. There's a reason why they say war is hell. But when a soldier surrenders and is no longer a threat, and lays down their arms and puts their hands up. If, if, if you are an American, you become responsible for that soldier. You take him captive, but you don't execute, you don't kill, you don't torture. That's diametrically opposed to what we are. And any of our allies, now I know Ukraine is not an ally, but any of our allies, especially folks that are receiving American funding from American taxpayers, 
should conduct themselves the same way. Now, listen, if you have kids that are watching, um, don't let them watch this. But you need to see this. This is, I saw this video and it's horrific, but you have a right to know how your tax dollars are being used. Brock, go ahead and, and roll this tape. That's sickening to me. You see very clearly that was a Ukrainian drone that was dropping grenades on what we assumed to be a Russian soldier who was not armed, was not posing a threat. Who the hell knows what he was doing? He was waving his hands after they initially wounded him. He was waving his hands, saying he was wounded, saying he was giving up the fight. Yet these Ukrainian drone operators, not not only did they drop another grenade on this guy, they dropped they dropped two. I've been in situations like this. I know how hard it is to control yourself, especially when the enemy doesn't show you the same courtesy. But if you are receiving American taxpayer dollars, you are expected to conduct yourself on the battlefield a certain way. I'm telling you, there was a time I was in Afghanistan. One of those times, this was 11 months into our deployment. So probably seven or eight months after my first firefight, we were in hundreds of firefights over there. We got trapped in another kill zone. Uh, I, I saw very clearly a, a, a foreign fighter, a, a, an Uzbek in a tree, shoot one of my gunners in the head. He fell down into the turret, but simultaneously fired a 50 caliber machine gun, hit, hit the, the, the foreign fighter in the stomach. He tumbled down the rocks and sat right outside my truck, looking right at me. And in that moment, I realized the depth of hatred that we were fighting. There was, there was just pure hate in that man's eyes. There's no way in hell he would have extended me the same courtesy that we were extending him. And you can bet that my soldiers wanted to kill him, especially we were in the middle of a kill zone, still getting shot at after he had wounded one of my soldiers who miraculously survived and stayed on the fight. But you can bet that we wanted to kill him, but we didn't. He was wounded. He was no longer a threat. He had no weapon. At that point in time, it becomes our responsibility. And look, I get it. Like, so I know how it feels. But it's important for leaders in combat, especially Americans or our allies on the battlefield, to continue to maintain their moral compass while they're on the battlefield and in combat. It's hard to do. But I'm just trying to show you just how out of control the situation is in Ukraine and what your tax dollars are paying for a war with no end where our fate our supposed ally that's not real really an ally is committing war crimes 
tactical level war crimes like the video I just showed you, but also Zelensky lying to world leaders to drag us into World War III, where Americans could die on that battlefield. Folks, it's not, it's, it's not something that we can accept as a nation. It's not something that we should accept. It's evil. It's wrong. We should support diplomacy at all costs. And so, folks, we've been at it for over an hour now. If you stuck with me this long, I want to say thank you. I'm so grateful to have you with me. I'm so grateful to have you in this platoon. Again, if you stuck with me for the full hour, be sure to like this episode. We need all the help that we can get because we're building a movement here. And the mission of that movement is to save this country. So like the episode, subscribe to Battleground Live on Rumble and tell your family and your friends uh, to subscribe there as well. I mean, Battleground Live will always be free. Also rolling out something cool called Locals. It's a it now Locals, the Battleground Live show, which again will air Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. That will always be free 100% of the time. We're, we're trying to brainstorm a subscription-based service where we can offer and do other cool things with, with the platoon and actually you know, put our money where our mouth is in terms of, of taking action with regards to saving this country. We're still brainstorming that. So I just started a locals page. So find your way over to there. You'll see, I, 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 I'm just working all this stuff out now, but I want you to be a part of that as well. Um, but battleground live will always be free. This rumble page will always be free. And also, Battleground Apparel at officialseanparnell.com. You can see the uh, r- politics is, is hell shirt with Pups McGee. We also got Do Not Comply shirts. We also got Never Quit, Never Surrender. All at officialseanparnell.com. Join the movement. It's a, it, Battleground Apparel Company is a company that that is, is for American patriots who simply want to save this country. It's for patriotic Americans just like you. So thank you. Thank you all for being with us during the show. We have a hell of a show for you tomorrow. Um, so join us five o'clock, be there or be square. God bless you all. God bless this amazing country that we call home. Take care. Good night. Live nation presents concert week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge. Io. Visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. 
For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today.